Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Caregiver Dave Celebrity segment. And I am excited to welcome from American Idol contestant, Ace Styles. Ace, what's up? What's going on? How are you? Thanks for stopping by. Hi. Nothing much. How are you? Good. Glad so to be I, here. I understand you're 16. So how real has this experience been for you from before going, being a contestant on American Idol to now in music? Did you think you would be where you are today and how crazy your life is going through this experience and now with all the people wanting to talk to you? Let's just say I've been ready since I was like six years old. Um <laughs> I've always wanted to be a singer, so uh, I was ready for it to happen, and I was so lucky to to be able to go on this show and have that exposure. And now it's and now it's crazy because there's so many people, and I'm like, well, go gotta look on point, no bedhead, no more. Gotta be looking. Yeah, but you just came back from school today, so it's real life for you, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm actually on spring break right now, and in most of my school, I'm there online, and um, I, I go for a few hours because I only have two classes that are in in school, so not there for too long. Exactly, and staying busy and all those different things. So talk about so six years old, you were ready. So you said at six, you figured it out. What mm-hmm. what artist inspired you? Because there has to be an artist that inspired you. <laughs> When I was six, it was Hannah Montana. Let me tell you, I was going to be the next Hannah Montana. I had the wig, really? the microphone. Yes. And then it was Taylor Swift. And then it was One Direction. I remember I had it. It was like a map plot line of who I was obsessed with as a kid. But no, yeah, I, I always kind of knew, you know, this is kind of what I want to do. Uh, at that same age, at six, I started doing musical theater so that was kind of my introduction to uh the world of performance and uh singing and i did that for 10 years pretty much so yeah i've always been ready i was it was always something that i wanted to do i kind of was like i have no backup plans so i hope this pans out but the musical theater what music Mm -hmm. what, what what um music musical is your favorite musical my favorite musical that I've been in or just in general? Been in first, and then we'll go to favorite okay. in general. My favorite musical that I've been in, I was in it twice. I was I, I did Les Mis uh, when I was like 10, and then again at four, no, 13, 13, 14. So that one's my favorite. I love watching it on Netflix when I'm bored. <laughs> really? So what, who did you play in Les Mis? So the first time I was a little Eponine, so I didn't do any, I just like pranced around and then sat with like the fake drunk people. And it was okay. great. I had a great time. 
And then uh, the second time I did it, I was prostitute number one. Oh, yeah. I had a solo in everything. My official title. Uh, <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's crazy. Okay. So, and so that was, how old were you when you were in Les Mis and for those? When you did The Les first Mis? time I was like 10, I was, I went into, oh, my Lord. I was going, I was going in. Um, fifth grade, yeah, I was going in grade, okay. and then the second time I was thirteen or fourteen, it was like I literally wore a wig because I had brown hair, and then uh, and I had cut it all off, and then like a month later I came out. So it was right, right before that was like the last one that I did before that. All right, so let's talk about favorite musical that you want to be in of all time your favorite musical i want to be in i want to be in falsettos i love falsettos not gonna lie i've watched that bootleg so many times um i would love to be in it i think i i like perpetually just look like a 14 year old boy so i think i could play the kid you know and That's great. That's awesome. All right. So let's talk about how did you get the opportunity American Idol? Give us that, how that, how that happened. Well, it was nothing really specific. It was just, uh, I, I saw, you know, they were auditioning obviously and it's like an open audition and I actually got it in the bag, like really early before they were doing like open calls and things. Um, I just sent one in on a whim because I was like, you know what? I'm to the point where I'm like confident in myself and I was like, I'm ready to go, go out and do something. So I was putting out additions for multiple things and um, I was lucky enough to hear back from them. And then it was a couple rounds of singing for, for people. And then eventually I, I you know, it was kind of like, okay, you've made it. And I was like, was that okay. ever a dream? Was that ever a dream to be on American Idol? For sure. I mean, not even specifically Idol. Just like to be on on one of those talent shows because you always watch someone's kids. Um, it was, but we watch them all the time. So it was really, really exciting to get the chance to be on one. And and it's crazy because you, I watch clips like you know, you watch clips on YouTube, and you can find ones from exactly. American Idol all the way from the year of I was born. So it, it's obviously been going on a long time. And so I was very excited. It seems like it. it's just that the experience. So finally, when you got to the, that last audition, what were your thoughts when you were going to sing? And like, were you nervous at all? Or were you very confident going? Honestly, I was pretty okay I thought I would be more nervous than I was like I thought I would be shaky and I wasn't which was kind of like hmm that is suspicious I don't know about that one um and then I I I got in there and I wasn't even I wasn't worried about singing and I was pretty much chill and I was just trying to be myself and all what I was worried about is that my string had broken like 10 20 minutes before and so I had a brand new string on my instrument and I don't if you know anything about things with strings right they take so long to break in you gotta stretch them and 
play them. So that was my, I was like, just stay in tune for the rest of this audition. Just stay in tune. And it did. I was so proud. I was like, good job, ukulele. You did a great job. Uh, so, yeah. Exactly. And uh, my co-host has joined us, but I'll just keep, keep, it on, keep him up to date and summarizing where we're at. So what song did you sing? So tell me the song you sung. I sang an original song called Addicted. And so who sung the original song Addicted is me who's, not, you know, I would know the artist, but who was the original song Addicted? Who sung that? I, I wrote it and I sang it. Oh, it's yours original. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah this is cool. Original That's means. Thank you, Dave. And so Dave shows up, the caregiver, Dave Nisani, shows up late, but hey, he could show up late on an interview. So, Dave, yeah. I'll let you go with the question. So, basically, what we've learned so far um, from this is Ace's experience. We're right at American Idol. So, he sung an original song, duh. I made my little move, Ace, and made a mistake, but hey, we make those in these, this crazy week of spring. I'm ready for. Be out of this pandemic. Can you believe Mar March 21st? And for an artist, Ace, that's hard, right? March yeah. 21st is when the pandemic began, where we're all locked down. And we're oh, and, then, and Dave, who's in LA, is still locked down. I'm in Pennsylvania, so it's semi. And uh, how have you dealt with it? Then I'll let Dave ask a question about your experience on the Michael American Idol, some other stuff. How did you deal with it as an artist when it happened? I'm not going to lie. At the beginning, I was not doing well. I don't think anybody was. You know, I didn't really know how to handle it. And obviously, just beyond performing, I, you know, I, I was this, I'm in high school. And you have high school friends. And it was really tough just not being around anybody. And, and, and I, I had kind of fought through a lot of social anxiety and then I felt like it was all just creeping back because I never saw anyone I never left my house and then with music it was also a very like dull moment where I just didn't feel creative and I didn't want to write for a while and then July is when really American Idol hit where I was auditioning and stuff and meeting with people and that was kind of like ooh. That and was it just kind of started summer. to rise exactly and that's what everyone yeah. went through because we didn't know what to expect mm -hmm. and then as he, he jumps off again we'll, we'll make sure we get back at least uh they made an appearance uh that so basically we didn't know what to expect and i think ace that's the the, the the crazy thing is not to know what to expect next and where we were going and you feel how have you grown you think in this year going through all this you know, because everyone's grown. We've all grown in some way. The mm -hmm. publicist that's here has grown in some way dealing with this entire year. So I can't believe we're sitting here March 21st is when it has started. Um, how have you grown? I mean, pretty much in any aspect I've grown, except my height. Uh, I'm still 5'3", but <laughs> I, I mean, it's crazy because obviously I thought I was doing okay beforehand. Like I was like, ah, I love myself. I'm like, fine. And then all this hit and I was like, you know, it was kind of like we're wavering now and, exactly. it, and it's hard. And then, you know, I went on TV and obviously within that, it was like three months before it aired. So it was still in 2020 and exactly. Um, and it was right in the middle of like my first semester 
of, of senior year. And um, I, I, I won't say I was ever ready. And it took, it was a lot, it was a lot of a learning process within my personal life, personal relationships, as well as my um, musical and, and, and that, that, aspect you know obviously i grew i'm here right now so had to go somewhere right yeah, yeah you definitely um, grew. going up so yeah it's not easy but at the end of the day look where i am now so i'm gonna say it was an okay you know a positive outcome for the year i would say that i've learned so much yet i feel like i'm in the same position except a lot of yeah. things have opened up but i feel like i'm in the same position in so many ways Meaning like yeah. everything I've grown yet. I feel like I've not moved. It's weird, mm. but I mm -hmm. have direction more than I had a year ago. Right. right. I've understood. I, but I still that what if because of what mm -hmm. we're dealing with. Right. Because we're still not back performing in front of the crowds. We're not, you know, socializing with lots of people. So we're still in that what if phase, but it seems like 2021 is better than 2020. And uh, yeah. we'll definitely go. So Dave, now as uh, you've changed your background and you're not really at a gas station, but he is a gas station guy and he's a nationally syndicated radio host and everything, just to give you an update, Ace in this, but I always am able to kind of go, Dave, ask him some questions about American Idol. I'll give you a couple questions to ask him. Sure. I apologize. Hello, I got an electrician Dave. who keeps turning the internet on and off and on and off. He's checking stuff. So that's why I was late and that's why I'm back and forth. And I did hear your video on American Idol and it was very, very moving. And the first thing I thought Thank was you. Nora Jones. Oh my God. You know, and um, I, I can't believe they said no. And I'm trying to say, well, why did, why did they do it? You know, maybe they, uh, maybe they wanted something different. I don't know, uh, but maybe they didn't want another Nora Jones. What, what are your feelings as to why you think they said no? Because as far as I'm concerned, they all should have said yes. That's very nice of you to say. Uh, well, I just call them as I see them. Did you always sound like Nora Jones before? Well, you would know because you probably weren't born when she first came around. I mean, I guess so. I mean, I've sounded the same since my voice changed. So you just happen puberty. to sound that way. I just have, I'm just that talented, you know. You're not no, like copying her. No, I, I, I'm trying to picture Nora Jones in my, my head right now. and It's not happening, but yeah. No, no, um, this is Dave's older. So Dave, did, did you just, you come up with that. He's a performer too. He's a singer, but also he's not just a singer, but also a comedian in some way. He's a jack of all trades. Uh, mm -hmm. But so basically he see, he calls them like he sees them. Yeah, but it doesn't matter what, how she looks. Just Google her and you'll you'll listen yeah. to her. And so it sounds like <laughs> yeah. you don't even know who she is. So she obviously she didn't inf influence you. It's just wow. Coincidence. And, no, thank you. Yeah. So what's 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 in store for the future? I mean, uh, I saw you were pretty shook up uh, when they turned you down and they were very gracious about it. And, uh, you know, especially one of them, uh, how long did it take you to get over that? I'm not going to lie. It was a tough, it was a tough, um, aftermath, if you will. Um, sure. I, I wasn't quite, I think I let my, my expectations be really high and, um, kind of feeling that, 
kind of all go downhill right not good and that's no one's fault and I think it was you know based on you know just being a sad experience and then past experiences and all that welling up and and it honestly kind of broke me I'm not gonna lie and it took a while to get over beyond that then a lot of (laughs) drama in the personal life did not help at all and Right. That happens. Right. And but I, I was lucky enough to be able to kind of relearn and just, you know, figure out what direction I'm going to go in and and take that experience, yeah. that opportunity and kind of learn from it in a way and kind of figure myself out. And obviously I'm a write, you know, I write songs. So yeah. I did myself a little little writing, if you will. <laughs> and um well, you have an amazing yeah. mom. She's very supportive. Oh, thank and, you. I love my mom. But I'm I'm sure even when she was trying to encourage you, you were saying, "Yeah, your mom, you're my mom. You have to say that stuff, right?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. But when I first like started doing my own stuff, and and she kind of forced me to go and 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 do the first uh, open mic and, and even when we were there she's like you don't have to but you should do it do it do it you know yeah, she's always that. like my uh, my friends like to argue that they're my number one fan and I'm like mm, you're gonna have to beat my mom and they're like <laughs> yeah you're right you're right I'm like, I know um but yeah no she's great and and she was the backbone that I think I needed for that whole experience yeah. and I'm glad she was there with me so are you getting a lot of acceptance from your friends, you know, because of the, the trans thing and all of that? Uh, is that well, uh, with the trans thing, it's a bit old news for my yeah. friends. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's been a while since I came out and a lot of them I didn't know before I came out. So they yeah. only know me as this sure. person that I am now, which is honestly really <laughs> great. Um, with the show, with the show, like, I don't know my best best friend like i didn't watch it and my my best friend she literally was watching it for me and then telling me what was happening and then we spent the rest of the night watching my follower count go up and like she's so cool and she's so great about it and encouraging and a lot of my friends again i'd never see because because i'm always at my house so um I'm sure that they're happy for me, but I mean, I yeah. don't know. I forgot <laughs> to look how many how many followers or people have. I think been, it's thirteen point three k on Instagram and Instagram, and that's the YouTube? highest number. How about YouTube? YouTube's a thousand something. I haven't looked today. Yeah. So what's interesting is now you see that new fifteen minutes of fame or fame that you're, <laughs> you're developing now. How do you take that? You're doing interviews. You're doing a nationally syndicated radio mm-hmm. show, TV. You're doing all these different <clears throat> things. How are you? How are you handling all this at home and different things? Because you had to wait so many months without telling anybody about American Idol. So that's the other part, Hart. Hello. Right? I'm so not good at waiting. Let me tell you, I why, was why did you have to wait? You can't because tell anybody I've... when you that you sign a contract that you can't yeah. say what happened during the, the auditions. You can't say anything, and if oh, you wow. do, yeah, they won't even air it. Right. Ace, is that correct? Yeah, I mean, I I don't know how how <laughs> far of an extent it That's goes, tough. but yeah, you keep it on the down low, and and obviously it came out like three months after after I filmed it, so it was a lot of like anticipation and and not knowing 
exactly mm. when it was going to be. And I was like, mm, I am not, I am not a patient person, <laughs> but I, I, I did it. I'm here now. So it's fine. Did they invite uh, you back at some time in the future to uh, audition again for American Idol? I haven't heard anything about that, but um I'll let you know. <laughs> so what's next for Ace? That was the question Dave was asking. What's next for you? What do you have coming up? Next? Oh, big things. You know, I'm, I'm working. We're doing interviews. And hopefully we'll get to do some uh, performances, even if they're, you know, online and, and start making music. And really just this is just the launching pad for hopefully a, a bigger career and i'm very excited mm. so what's next for ace uh all of the above i'm ready so to go can't, you can't say anything yet right things are in the works right no oh, we're working. Mm -hmm. working do you have a music coach no no i don't i did when i was younger i had a, a vocal uh, teacher but not not anymore not for a couple years i i just thought on my own but yeah <laughs> All right, so Dave, ask your caregiving question, why he's called the caregiver. Uh, well, you're the youngest one. I'll be asking this question, too, and I don't even know if you know mm -hmm. what a caregiver is, because I sure didn't know yes, what a caregiver Yes, I know what a caregiver is. Oh, good for you. Thank you. <laughs> then Tell you're smarter than me. Yeah, yes, Ace is smarter than you, Dave. So my wife had a stroke. <laughs> I didn't know what a caregiver was. All I know is she has a stroke. She lost her speech. She became paralyzed mm -hmm. on one side. Maybe you know some people who, you know, elderly, maybe your grandparents or, you know, relatives, aunts, uncles, I don't know. But what experience have you had personally with caregiving? Because they say you're, everyone's going to eventually become or need a caregiver one day. And that, and believe it or not, 6 million uh, kids from the ages of eight to 18 are caregivers. And a lot mm -hmm. of them are missing school, and, uh, you know, the uh, mom will tell them, you're watching grandma today. You're not going to school. Well, okay. <laughs> because there's no one else. So, yeah. Um, I, hmm, what a question. Hmm. I don't know if I've outright ever been or considered myself uh, a caregiver. I, I do have older grandparents and they, they are just fine on their own, but I, I, I call myself I call myself their butler. So I, I, I clean for them and and I do that stuff. And I have a little brother. And when he was younger, I like to say I raised him well because he likes all the he likes like Kiss and and the Beatles and all the older rock and roll. I'm, I'm like, I raised you good. Does he and, sing? Um, he doesn't say he plays guitar. Okay. Uh, he plays the electric and he takes lessons and he's, he's so good and he doesn't know it. He, he's so embarrassed, but I'm telling you, he's going to be big. Um, You're going to be big. Oh, thank you. I, I have a cat. I don't know if that's not caregiver well, then you are for a caregiver. Person, if you have a cat, but I, he's my emotional support animal. You know, I, I wouldn't be anywhere without him. And, and honestly, if you gave me an hour, I could talk straight about how much I love my cat. He is my baby. I love him so much. And so, yeah, we hang out every day. I take care of him, um, take care of the dogs. They're all taking naps right now. Where do but you yeah, live? I live in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Oklahoma is okay. Oklahoma. Uh, so I'm so have, you ever, have you ever been in Oklahoma? The, the the musical Oklahoma. 
I haven't been in the musical Oklahoma, but let me tell you, I have sang the songs from Oklahoma a bajillion times. <laughs> you can't go to a concert. Okay, so sing one of your favorite songs from Oklahoma. Go. Oh, I'm a girl who can't say no, but, but, but you know, I did a terrible fix. Okay, okay. That's the what I can think of. No worries. It's uh, but where can we connect with you on it? Is the best place Instagram? Uh, yeah, I'm most frequently on Instagram. I have a Twitter and uh, a Facebook kind of, and YouTube, obviously, on the videos. So you can hit me up anywhere. Do you play at, at, at a place regularly? I, I saw you do, playing with, with look like a club or something. I don't know. What it was. Yeah, I do a occasional coffee house gig. Yeah. It's called the Gypsy Coffee House, and they have open mics. So I sometimes go to those. You have a um, band with you, or just whoever's there? It's usually just who's ever there. We are trying to set up some stuff with a band and get some shows booked. So I'll keep yeah. you updated. Make a lot of YouTube videos. All I saw on YouTube basically was the. Uh, American Idol, you need right. more stuff on no, there. No, no, just depends. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. But see, but so best places connect is Instagram, right? You're on Instagram mostly. Would you yes, say? Yes, sir. All right. So we'll definitely connect with you, Ace. Great. Uh, thank you. It's good you're on your spring break. So we were so, yeah, you got me at the right time. School. Got you at the right <laughs> time. Best of luck and let us know when the new projects are coming and best of luck to you. Thank you. You too. All right, guys. Nice to right. meet you. Talk to you. Take care. Okay, okay. that's care. Take care. Take care, guys. Bye. Neil Haley here. Lensec has been a sponsor of the Neil Haley Show and Total Media Network for around a year and a half, and I wanted to tell you a little bit about Lensec. Lensec has been a pioneer in IP security video since 1998. The company is a trusted security partner with experience around the world. Lensec has experience working with customers in higher education, K-12 education, government, public safety, critical infrastructure, healthcare, commercial, and more. The physical security experts at Lensec help customers develop enterprise solutions for their complex physical security projects using our flagship software, Perspective VMS. Lensex Enterprise-level video management software, Perspective EMS, is a browser-based software that streams and captures IP security camera video. The latest version of PVMS uses HTML5 interactive features in a thin client application that is designed to provide real-time situational awareness. Access control and other advanced features are integrated into a unified security platform, creating an ability to track behavior and movement while monitoring the live or recorded video. For more information, please visit lensec.com. And now back to the show. Hi, we're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Total Celebrity Segment. I'm excited to welcome the program, Nick Loeb from Roe v. Wade. Nick, what's up? How are you, man? Good, Neil. How are you? Thank you so much Good. for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Before we get into the movie, I wanted to kind of talk about your background. I mean, you always wanted to be an entrepreneur because entrepreneurship was first, then acting was second. Now filmmaking and really making a movement is now where you're at now. So you're making films to really kind of make a difference in this world in so many ways, but kind of explain that background of his entrepreneurship. to what <clears throat> Yeah. I mean, I, I, it was, it's sort of a mixed bag. I mean, I, you know, I studied business in school. Um, my, I started my career 
in film at 22. Um, really first six, seven years out of, out of university, I was in film and producing and acting. And uh, then I had to go make some real money and, uh, and, and started also becoming partly an entrepreneur to make real money. I, I always tell people, you know, I, I make money as an entrepreneur and I lose it in film. <laughs> and so I took a bit of a hiatus uh, in film for a while and I came back and um, I'm a bit a mixture sort of a both of a, an entrepreneur and in the film business. I mean, now as I've gotten older, I'm just focused on, on what I'm passionate about and what I love. Um, and that's film. In terms of making movies about movements, it, it really wasn't um, uh, an idea that I wanted to do. Um, Roe v. Wade initially, the concept and idea was um, to make a movie about a court case that the entire world country has heard about, but nobody knows anything about, which I thought was relatively interesting and also very entertaining because it wasn't sort of a dry courtroom drama type movie. It was sort of right. like an Oliver Stone conspiracy theory movie. Um, and and um, I'm, a, I'm a huge lover of history. So I now really truly only focus on historical films. My next film um, is not necessarily a film for a movement, um, although there could you could say there could be, but it's, it's a historical piece um, as a story that's never been told as well. And see, this is the thing, watching the trailer, the first trailer you had out before and just seeing specifically enough the all-star cast you put together and then the story that you cannot decide what you're thinking about, Nick, what side you're on in the story, because there's two sides to the story. People that this movement, this this court case has changed the lives of everyone for the better, some people think, and the worse for other people. But we can't tell based on the story which side you're on, Nick. And I think that's important. In, in a yeah, film I mean, like this, you know, yeah. my goal was not I didn't come from the faith based community. So I came from the film world. And so my goal was not to make a hit you over the head preachy film, you know, all about faith, God and babies. My goal was to make an historically accurate, dramatic piece based on a court case of how uh, that the most famous court case in American history about how it got there and how it came to be. Uh, and you have the pro-lifers and the pro, pro-choice guys, and they're battling it off. Right. Um, and at the end of the day, people will have to take a look at it and make the decision for themselves. Um, you do have two of the characters in, in the movie that convert and become pro-life because that's what happened historically. Right. Historically, there was no pro-life characters that converted and became pro-choice in, in the story. <clears throat> so for that, it, it may, you know, slant a little bit pro-life, but it's up to the, I mean, a lot of people think it's in the middle. A lot of people think it's, I think it's another. definitely in the middle. You could not tell. And then I was wondering, wow, someone made a mo- movie that's pro-choice on Roe v. Wade. Wow. Now that's going to really tick off conservatives, right? You know, that's going to the pro-lifers. And then, but then after you find out that's not the case, you're like, wow, this is really right down the middle, you know, because. Well, have you had a chance to see the movie, Neil? I have not saw it yet, but I want to. <clears throat> well, have you, I guess you'll make up your mind when, when you see it. So it depends where you are. I mean, I think if you are, it depends where you are. I mean, I think a lot of people, a lot of people who really aren't even in the movement, right, who haven't really, who don't really care about the issue, um, right, you know, find it to be evenly balanced. People who are dogmatic about the issue one way or another do not. Really? Okay. So, Nick, so I'm pro-life, okay? I'm, I'm a conservative, but again, I won't 
put that out there like you know like pro trumpster different things i go into just a, a way of the journalist to make sure i am fair and balanced in my interviews and discussion matters some of my co-hosts that they really can they really show their true colors but i've been in the pro i've marched done march for life when i was a school teacher in a catholic school three four years uh, i felt the the power and the pain of what's happened and you look at specifically enough both sides you're right they're going to have a different perspective than somebody that really doesn't care about the issue but to get all these amazing this cast together that that's got to be a, a challenge right first presenting that to each one of them to say i want you to be part of this film and yet it's right down the middle because you, a lot of filmmakers really put a story that is going to to show that there is a theme based on what the filmmaker wants yeah, I mean, if you take a look at my, you know, so a lot of people will take a look at the cast and say, oh, John Voight, it's a right-wing conspiracy movie. Uh, I'll tell you, though, the majority of the actors in the movie, even the majority of the politically conservatives were pro-choice. Uh, and, and they wanted to do the movie <clears throat> because they read the script. And after they read the script, they were sort of, I know John himself was just floored at the amount of information that we laid out and thought it was extremely interesting. Um, I think the second reason that a lot of the cast ended up doing the movie was because it was a historical piece and they got to play uh, Supreme Court justices. I mean, guys that were you know, pillars and gods of the legal system at the time they lived. And for an actor to get to be able to maybe play Justice Brennan or Justice Berger or Justice White or Rehnquist or Powell or any of these guys, I think, was an, an amazing opportunity, one that you actually never see in Hollywood. I've actually never seen a movie where any of the Supreme Court really is, is portrayed in any, any movie. And I think that's, that they found that to be very interesting and intriguing. And, and, and having a script that was like this, I think, really is what helped get cast. And how, how did that process go? Did you think you were going to land the cast that you were able to land? No, I thought it was going to be a huge uphill challenge, mainly because I was pro-life. Um, <clears throat> there, it does, it does in the movie show a lot of the bad things the pro-lifers. I mean, you may not want to say it's bad, but it was the way they got things done. It may not have been, <clears throat> for the lack of a better phrase, kosher. Um, um, and uh, and so there was sort of an angle. So though I thought it was going to be ch be challenging. Um, and, but we ended up with some great, you know, great cast, you know, and, and guys that have been I mean, guys that were huge when I was growing up. I mean, I was addicted to Duke right. Hazard and yeah. me and having John Schneider and Steve Gutenberg there, were, you know, was for me like the best thing in the world, uh, it, you know, or having Jamie Kennedy from Scream or Joey Lawrence yeah. from Blossom or Stacey Dash from Clueless. It was like, you know, all of these actors that I grew up with that were sort of iconic. Uh, during their their time was sort of it was amazing yeah. exactly and then but then i could just see how you painted the picture how well done it is that really looks like the court looks like the history of it it looks like just the dr drama that you want to see the film just to see what happens in the story and to know the backstory which isn't out there right we all know the the, the case but that's it we don't know the backstory we don't know the backstory leading up to it really and we don't know the, what what the reasoning and how 
difficult it was for that case to be turned the direction it was. And then just from that process, that's what makes it interesting. So kind of describe without giving away the film in the way that basically what led up to this, this case and stuff that again, and how they <laughs> yeah, utilize I mean, essentially this. The, the case came about because essentially Planned Parenthood and NARAL were the two leading uh, um, women's rights groups or pro-abortion right. groups in the country at the time. And they were trying to change the laws on a state-by-state -state basis. And they just thought, this is going to take forever. We got to change the laws in 50 states. And they said, maybe we can get the Supreme Court to do it in one fell swoop across the nation, but we need to find a girl. And they went out and searched for a girl. And they met the girl, Norma McCorvey, AKA Jane Rowe, signed her up, never spoke to her again. Um, and, that, and that sort of, and then they had to figure out how to get it to the Supreme Court. And they had the perfect story for her to be the one, right? That well, they did had, you know, it's interesting, you'll find out in the movie, they didn't have the perfect story because the problem was getting a girl that no girl wanted to come out at a time saying publicly, and including Norma. And this is what actually gave them the perfect cover. They gave her the pseudonym of Jane Rowe. So right. nobody could ask this girl any questions, know about her, know about her background, <clears throat> know that she had, had already had two children. This was her third child. Uh, she never even had an abortion. Um, and she was a disaster. Um, uh, she was a runaway and alcoholic, um, but none of that would come up or play into the case because she was cloaked under the pseudonym of, of Jane Rowe. And that was the brilliance of, um, of the case. And, um, anyway, there's a lot more to it. And again, I don't want to give it away. No, not at all. They really utilized. <clears throat> they utilize the media in very, and you'll see in the film, what's very similar and has a lot of parallels is what's going on today is how much influence the media has on the courts and just some people in general. And, you know, the two protagonists of the movie, Bernard Nathanson and Larry later truly understood that understood how to use the media and how to manipulate it. And you'll see throughout, they then at the end of the movie, they, they confess, um, they essentially confess about everything that they did um, and all the things that they did weren't on the up and up. And all of that's taken from their books, which they came out and confessed. Well, not all of them, Bernard did, uh, not Larry. But. See, that, see, that's amazing. And meaning just the fact of just how the, this, that they were able to manipulate the media, the media was able to manipulate the story to the court. So everyone saw this in a different lens, kind of like you said, during the election or COVID, two different areas that the media was controlling everything that's happening and, and dictating what's what, where, what, what, there's only one right way to view this, not in both the, the lens of half the country that disagreed completely on this. It was really interesting. And it was, it was, it was in an essence of the time, uh, brilliant. And they were really masterminds and brilliant the way they orchestrated all of this. And you'll see when you see the film. Was that in the film? Are we going to be surprised at the outcome after all the evidence that comes through? Well, I think everybody knows what happened, right? Yeah, I mean, like, yeah they do. Yeah. But meaning just the outcome is there. I mean, the end of the movie is not the end of the court case. The end of the movie is the end of, um, sort of, you know, through Bernard's journey, through the end of his journey. 
Um, and then, and I think there you'll be surprised by, you know, the people who don't know the story will be surprised by the outcome. Um, I think a lot of people who came, who seen the movie and come out of it have been infuriated with what happened. Uh, I think this has angered a lot of people seeing the movie, um, upset people. I have a lot of people have come out crying and I'm very emotional uh, to see what Bernard did and went through uh, and what has happened and how it went down. I, this is not a, you know, fairy tale ending. Uh, right. But it's an ending, I think, that gives people some sort of either pause that maybe are in the middle or some people are on the right, a call to action. Well, especially with the last pre our last president, President Trump, was able to really move it towards the case for the overturn now doesn't look very possible at all. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it'll you'll be at a stalemate. I know that um, President Biden is uh, trying to codify uh, Roe. Um, you know, because part of the argument that you'll see is that, you know, it's a law that was, the law should be created by Congress, not the judiciary, uh, which is how our government is structured. And so he's looking to codify law, uh, codify row. I don't think that's going to happen either. And I don't think, um, and, and listen, there's, a, there's more of a chance that this could go back to the Supreme Court or a case and it could get overturned than, than it would be codified. Well, what I think people don't realize today is that Roe v. Wade, um, whether it's overturned or not, has nothing to do with legalization of abortion. People don't realize that. If Roe v. Wade is overturned, all that doesn't make abortion illegal. It just sends it back to the states. Right. It becomes a state's rights issue. And so um, essentially, uh, you know, and that's the way it should be a state's rights issue, or it'll end up being going to Congress and creating a law, the, the proper way things should be done in our country. Not let the courts make the decision. Let our lawmakers make the decisions. I mean, I mean, they went even be beyond making a decision. They actually not only made a decision based on law on this law that they just passed that wasn't even a real law based on the right to privacy that they said was in the Constitution that wasn't in the Constitution that they based Roe off. But then they came out and they created the judges created a three trimester system. Like that's not the job of any judge to create. A, a system exactly. of laws based on medical trimesters. They're not even doctors. And, and, and then they not only created this medical trimester system, they then created a loophole that made the trimester system irrelevant. I mean, we're the one of the only, I think there's four countries in the, in the world that have such permissive abortion laws that you can have, a, you can literally have an abortion at any time when you want to the day of birth in America, if you truly want. Anywhere in the country, I is think that different like, in other countries? In most countries, you can, most countries. I mean, I you know I spend a lot of time in Western Europe. In most countries, you can't have an abortion uh, after the first uh, trimester. Um, and and um, and I you know and I think the challenge in America is, except for now a couple of states. I mean, if if you know if you feel in month nine that you don't want the baby anymore and you go to a psychiatrist and say, I'm, if I have this baby, I'm going to kill myself. The psychiatrist will write like, she needs an abortion because her life is in danger. <clears throat> and she'll be able to use the argument that it would, she needs an abortion to save her life. Yeah. That's, that's how she can get, get away with, with getting around the three trimester system today in America. Wow. It's so, such interesting stuff that is covered in this film and what is your whole goal at the end of this what do you want people to learn i want to be able to know that i want people to understand the truth see what actually happened 
um, have a fair discussion. And I want truly people to understand and what you'll see in the film. And I think a lot of my generation is missed on this. I think the younger generation, not so much because of technology, but that when a woman is pregnant and she has an abortion, it's not a clump of cells or a gabagoo. It's a human being in a life. <clears throat> and whether you still believe in abortion after that or not, I want everyone to understand that an abortion kills the life of a alive, living human person. What has been the response, Hollywood, of you making this film? I mean, they have not been thrilled. Uh, you know, uh, we've had agencies out against us, big organizations trying to stop the film from coming out. Um, you know, so it, it's been challenging on, on that side. Um, and we'll see. It'll be out in three weeks. We'll see the reaction. And I think that, um, you know, people who really were involved, like true people who uh, were involved in the movie or read the script or, like, I have a lot of friends who read the script. Most of my friends are pro-choice right. and liberals. I have a lot of friends who read it. I even have one actor in my movie who's a liberal who actually changed their position on abortion either after they read the script wow. or were involved in the film. Which you can't say. <laughs> no, because he still wants to have a career in Hollywood. Yeah. So, I mean, my, listen, if I can change hearts and minds and if, if this movie can save one life, it was worth it. And that's fantastic. And you're doing this all on your own, funding it yourself, right? Pretty much, Nick, or are you close? No, we went out and we raised the money. Uh, I went out and raised money. We crowdfunded it. We have a, a bunch of investors. Funnily enough, our biggest investor is pro-choice. <clears throat> um, interestingly, what? Wow. I, because he felt it was, he felt when he read the script, he felt it was 64, uh, like 50-50. He now feels the way we cut it is 60-40. But he felt it was 50-50. Uh, he also felt that because it was, he was, you know, a business guy and he felt because it was so controversial, whether it was one side or the other, that he would make a lot of money. People would go and see the movie. Um, so, I, you know, everyone, I, I've got investors that are Catholics, Christians, atheists, Jews that run the gamut. Um, you know, getting a movie financed uh, takes, a, takes a mountain. The movie now. Question on the movie: Is it going to be in any theaters or, or not? Or, or you... no? I for us, you know, we, you know, most theaters are closed, uh, and the challenge with going into, into any theaters today <clears throat> is that you're required. You know, all the theaters require what's called a 90-day holdback. That means we can't stream the movie for another three months. Oh goodness! So there's no reason to go out to 100 theaters that are open then to have to wait another three months to release it streaming. Um, you know, somebody came and they wanted, wrote me a big check to spend marketing dollars, then we could do that. But, you know, other than that, it's just not worth it. Gotcha. And so it'll be streaming. It'll be available in three weeks. We're going to be airing it again, but I just want to know available in three weeks. What's the date? And then it'll be available in all streaming platforms. Yeah. April 2nd, it should be available on Amazon, iTunes, everyone's local pay-per-view. If they've got cable or satellite pay-per-view, they should be able to buy it there. Oh, that's great. So you're gonna be able to have it on the on-demand areas too. So that's yeah. awesome to have that. That took some time, right? This is an independent film to be able to get that, right? Not everyone gets that. Yeah, right we, have, that. we have a fantastic distributor, um, a team that's been in Hollywood for a very long time that understands the business and have deep relationships um, called Quiver Distribution. And they, uh, they were able to strike all those deals. How has the reviews gone so far? 
we've had great reviews. I mean, we, the, we, the movie, um, we haven't really sent it to reviewers. And the only people who did reviews were people who saw it at, uh, during our premiere last week at, in uh, Orlando at CPAC. And so we had about three or four reviews out of there. Uh, we will end up selling it to reviewers. All of them were phenomenal. I said, you know, the best one was from a magazine called The New American. Um, and I, I was really blown away um, by the in-depth research that the journalist wrote uh, and the fact-checking that she did, because there's been a lot of criticism in our film that we lied and manipulated and we made stuff up and blah, blah, blah. So in order to combat that, we actually, on our website, created a link called Fact Check. So if there's a scene in the movie, they're like, oh, these guys made that up. There's no way that's for real. You can go to our website, go to Fact Check. You can read about the scene. You can see the actual source material that we got the information. And so uh, that's great. I think, you know, I mean, it'll be it'll it helps. It doesn't solve the issue of fake news because the news will still say whatever they want to say. Yeah, but the good news is a, it's a split down the middle. And if you get the conservative people to stream this and really promote this, it could do really well. well from your lips to God's ears. Just think of different conservative movies or even Christian movies that have done so well in the box office, meaning like Sid so, you know, did what very well. Yeah, unplanned it very well. I can only imagine God's not dead, passion of the Christ. I mean, a lot of these um, have done very, very well. So, you know, we can only pray. All right. Best place to, to watch, go and learn about the film before it launches. Where, where can we go? Yeah, they can go to robywademovie.com. Um, you can read all about the movie. You can see the trailer clips. You can even, there are a lot of organizations and people doing pre-screenings, um, doing their own screenings in their homes, churches, or groups before the movie's released. And they can actually sign up to do that. And we can help set them up uh, through robywademovie.com. Fabulous. Appreciate you stopping by. What You're really putting yourself out there. I guess not wanting to act in Hollywood again and make a comeback. That's not going to happen. But maybe, Nick, if you end up getting an award for your work, then, then you'll end up in maybe, who knows, the Oscars next year. You never know. Right? <laughs> uh, you know? I, I won't even go down that route. But, <laughs> but somebody's going to recognize I, I, white, white White males don't qualify for Oscars anymore. <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate you stopping by, Nick, and thanks again. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Okay. You're watching The Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. Celebrity Slots. Free spin. Free to play mobile social slot games in the likeness of your favorite celebrities. Making money. Spin to win celebrity experiences through sweepstakes. Free to download, free to play. Yeah, baby. What are you waiting for? Win meet and greets, celebrity merchandise, gift cards, and more. Download Celebrity Slots today. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Rob Roselli Show. I'm excited to welcome to the program. Rob Roselli. Rob, what's going on? How are you? Hey, Neil. How are you doing? And thanks for having me again. Absolutely. I mean, it's your show, but, you know, I think that you're getting what's happened. Like, what, you brought up Dr. Seuss off air. That's got to just shock you to know things like this are happening. 
the reason these these books were canceled is so ridiculous. It's all over the top that it's really it's scaring people into submission. Now I think you can sit here and say, well, people have made the point that well it's ridiculous. You're banning Dr. Seuss and Mein Kampf and Louis Farrakhan and his books are still available on Amazon. And I think there may be a bigger strategy at play here because the people that ban Dr. Seuss, they're going to come back and say, you know, something you're right. And they're going to start banning other books. And I think what they're really doing, what they're really working towards, Neil, is to ban the Bible itself is really what they're doing. So it's really the beginning of a book banning strategy. So they're not starting, they're not starting with with something like the Bible or something like that. They're starting with something relatively easy. And then they're gonna then they're gonna walk their way into banning other books. So it's 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 book banning. It's right out of Orwell's 1984 and, and slash communist country, which is what these people really are, is a bunch of communists. And I don't think that's I don't think that's conspiracy theory anymore. I think that's pretty much fact. So I believe there's a much bigger strategy going on here that instead of this ridiculous banning of Dr. Seuss, I mean if these people were really concerned about racism. Maybe they wouldn't support Margaret Sanger's Negro Project, which we know today is Planned Parenthood, which specifically targets uh, America's Negro or Black population in, in Margaret Sanger's own words. So you want to talk about institutional racism. There it is. Yet all these same people that ban these books are, are for the most part, rapid, rapidly pro-abortion, just like Joe Biden himself which is another joke in and of itself right now. So I'm going to say that. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, but so who came up with the idea to ban the books? Uh, I'm not sure. I think Joe Biden had a, had a word in it, had a say in it, but I'm not sure who the exact group was. I'm not sure who these people are, but they're basically the same people running, looking to turn this country into a communist country right now. And then they're doing it. One of the ways you do that, obviously, is you burn the books. You burn, you burn everything, so that you, you start with a clean slate and you teach people what you want to teach and you indoctrinate them by not allowing alternative opinions through other media like books. And, and pretty soon, and they're not gonna, they're not just going to start with the books. They're going to start with the radio too and the TV. And I know there's people in Congress right now that are looking to get cable companies to ban things like Fox News. Which is a ridiculous. Yeah. Wow. So why? So what? What? What's what is Fox done? But let me. So Biden. So Doctor. What's the premise for Doctor Seuss? Because I think this is very interesting for our listeners. What is the premise for what's wrong with Doctor Seuss? Well, supposedly some of the characters, and I and I saw a, a, a reason. I saw, I watched it on the news. Supposedly some of the characters, like the Asian character. Or, for example, I think the Asian character was was painted yellow and, and he looked a little too Asian. And this character was was given a certain certain stigma. In other words, what they were saying is it reinforced stigmas about people that were that were wrong. But they were very very minor occurrences. And like I said, these books have been around for decades. I mean, I read Dr. Seuss. I'm not ready to go join a Ku Klux Klan, and I'm sure millions of other adults, you know, in our age group and our generation aren't ready to join a Ku Klux Klan because they read a Dr. Seuss book. So it's absolutely ridiculous. But again, 
I believe they're starting with Dr. Seuss and they plan on banning more books until they can ban, ban, and go ahead and ban things like the Bible. So, and it's all, it's liberal. I'm not sure which the particular grouping is again, but again, it's ultra liberals and ultra liberalism is nothing different than socialism slash communism. And these people are just acting out on what they really believe in. It's really just, it's that simple. But I never said these were rational people. You know, I never said they were particularly intelligent. They're just trying to do the best they can to, to meld us into some kind of one world order. But you start looking at these things from from above. You look at the view from 10,000 feet and you start connecting dots. These people are just, they're just crazy. They're, they're bat guana crazy is what I'm going to say. They've made a deal with the devil to be, you know, to have their time on the earth to be in charge. And they've got their, you know, they've got their temporary earthly power that's satisfying their own megalomania. I mean, that's all going to come crashing down. But unfortunately, they're taking the rest of us with them. So it's really an unfortunate situation. And I don't see it getting any better anytime soon with these these people in control and, and cementing themselves in control at the same time. All right. Well, uh, best place to find information on usebox.sunglasses.com. Go there right now to learn about your book and your books and all those different things. Correct. Correct. And don't forget about God's simple salvation plan, because I think that's going to be the most important thing because at some point with the way things are going, don't forget we have all these, the whole virus situation and that, and then there's, vaccines and then we can talk about that in the next few weeks but god's simple salvation plan i'd say is the most important aspect of the website right now and then yeah of course you can get the books to see what's really going on they live uh the un-american genocidal complex where you can read about the margaret sanger's negro project and, and the aids virus which is the precursor to COVID, i believe and my other book, Pleased to Meet You, which is just a conversation between a Satan character and, and, a, and a government official, which tries to help make some sense of all this craziness going on in the world. But all those books are available, boxofsunglasses.com. And we'll, uh, we'll talk to you next week. All right. Sounds good. Talk soon, man. All right, Neil. All right. That was the Rob Buscelli right. Show, guys. Take care. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.